Welcome to the Crossroads Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. The last three weeks, uh, we've been in a series called Love Story. And Brian kicked it off talking 1 Corinthians 13 about this whole idea that the greatest of these is love. I'm gonna actually read a verse from that in just a moment. But he talked about how important love is. Last week, Joel talked about grace. And that as Christians, what really defines us, what defines our story, what defines our savior is the grace that he has. And uh, hopefully you guys got to take the challenge of throwing a grace party and doing those things. That's some cool stuff. But here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna close this up and we're gonna talk about the goal of love. And the goal of uh, love is for us to lead others to Jesus with the same love we've received from him. So again, I told you that I was gonna read from part of 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to these first three verses. Brian went over this before, but uh, let it refresh you. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith as so I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have and I deliver my body over to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You hear what he's saying? He's saying like, listen, I can do all of this awesome stuff. I can have amazing faith. I can speak in angelic tongues. I can surrender my body to the flames. Literally, I could be burned to death for my faith. But he says, if I don't have love, I've missed the whole point. So how do we as Christians lead and love? Our goal is to love as Jesus loved us. Jesus said this in John 15, verses 12 and 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So what I wanna do today we're gonna talk about leadership, but leadership in kind of the, through the lens of love. So as believers, how do we lead? Now, I just gotta tell you, one of my favorite things is to talk about leadership. I believe in leadership. Um, I've had it ingrained in me since I was a, a little kid. My dad used to always tell us when we left the house, like you'd go anywhere, he'd go, he'd say just a couple things, and remember who you are. And he made you repeat, I know, I'm a Cameron, but more importantly, I'm a Christian, okay? But the second thing he would tell us, he goes, and be a leader, not a follower. Uh, because leadership's important. Um, literally, a nation rises or falls on leadership. Everything in life rises or falls on leadership. You have a bad leader, it's gonna, it's gonna change things. How many of you are sports fans? Anybody? Okay, like you know how important leadership is in, in a, on a football team. Your head coach, your quarterback, right? You gotta have good leaders. You look at a, a, like a basketball team that has bad leadership, what happens? They crumble, they fall apart. You gotta have good leadership. So I'm gonna give you today seven points about leadership and I would think that you'll see how Jesus kind of uses or Jesus teaches us how to use leadership to share love like he is, all right? Here's number one. Lead from where you are. 
When it comes to leadership, there's this illusion that a lot of young people have that someday you're gonna be a leader, right? Like you might graduate into leadership or uh, there's, this, there's this whole thing where people think that they need a title to be a leader. Uh, I remember one time I had a, I was meeting with a guy that was trying to get us to come to this water park and uh, I walked up not knowing who anybody was, but I knew who he was and we were talking and uh, he had this shirt that said their water park name on it and everybody else has like had a title with it, but his didn't. And he was like, yeah, man, people just, people don't know who I am. So I, I, need to, I need to have this stitched on here. I need my title. And you know what? That might be true in a water park environment, but you realize you don't need a title to lead. Um, John Maxwell, great leadership guru, he says, leadership is influence. You know what that means? Every person has influence. Your influence is different than mine. And you have to use that influence to lead people to Jesus. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, there's no such thing as waiting to be a leader. Now there might be waiting on a leadership position. You know, you might be a freshman in high school and you're not gonna be the captain of the football team this next year probably as a sophomore. You're just not, but does that mean you can't lead? Does that mean you can't make a difference in your locker room? Does that mean that you can't make a difference caring for people, loving people, leading in the right way, not taking part in those jokes you shouldn't be a part of, not using bad language like other people? You can lead. Lead from where you are. No matter where you are in this life, I promise you, you can lead. Here's number two. If the grass is greener somewhere else, that's your fault. Okay, if the grass is greener somewhere else, that's your fault. Listen, if your grass is dead in your yard and you're looking at someone else and going, man, their grass is green, look how beautiful that is. Guess what you need to do? Water your yard. Like, you guys know the, the real statement, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. What happens to people is they love to play this comparison game where they think that someone else always gets all the better opportunities. Well, if I played for this team, if I was with these people, if I had this girlfriend, man, if, 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 if I had those parents, they would get me this car and do all these things. Listen, if you're in this constant mindset where you think the grass is always greener, you're missing the point. When we play this comparison game, you know it's never true. Like, I, I promise you, um, one of the things that social media has done for us is it's given us the ability to, to view other people, but we view other people through their filtered lives. Like I'm, I'm amazed um, at some of the pictures during Connect Group that I see my, my, the people in my Connect Group take pictures of on Snapchat and then post it. I'm like, that's a hideous picture. Usually they're of me when I think they're hideous, but I'm like, why did y'all decide to send that? Um, but even with Snapchat, you know that you're still choosing which ones you are gonna put out there and which ones you aren't. And yet you know that about yourself, but you don't think that when you view someone else. So you play this comparison, you're like, man, their life is perfect. They're always having fun. They're always doing all these sort of things. And you think all of these thoughts that aren't true. I heard a preacher one time says it, that what we do on social media is we judge someone else's highlight reel versus our behind the scenes footage. 
So we're thinking better of someone else than they really are, while we also are thinking worse of ourselves than we've ever been. You're thinking of all the worst things about yourself, and you're like, oh man, that girl is so beautiful. And then you think of all these things that aren't true about you, but you think aren't as good as this picture that she took. Does that make sense? If the grass is greener somewhere else, it's your fault. You know what that means? Put in the work that you need to to make your situation better. Don't just go, well, man, I can't wait to get out of my house. You know, some of you have a tough home life. You have a tough situation at home. You might have unbelieving parents. Uh, you guys might have just been through a difficult time. But listen to me. God, God is not going, hey, I want to just remove you from this and you need to play the comparison game of how everybody's life is better than yours. No, you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, you do what you can in the situation I've put you in. God's not surprised at who your parents are. God's not surprised at what's happened to you this last year. He knows where you are. Uh, I like the way that 2 Timothy 2.15 says, it says, do your, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be, shame, be ashamed, rightly handing, handling the word of truth. Here's number three. Who you are when no one is around is who you are. Who you are when no one else is around is who you are. Uh, there's an old quote that says, integrity is who you are when no one else is watching. There's a lot of times in life that we think so highly of ourselves and we think, man, well, this is, this is, who, this is who I am. I'm so great at all these things. No, who you are when no one else is around is who you are. If you're not disciplined enough to read your Bible, but hey, I could see on stage, then you got, a, you got a problem. The first person you gotta lead is yourself. When you're all by yourself, those decisions you make that no one else knows about, those are some of the most important decisions that you'll ever make. And this is why it's important when you talk about leading, you start right here. Who you are when no one else is around. When, you know, I'll use the, the, the trip rules that we always use. You know, we say that a guy and a girl by themselves, you're, we still consider that alone, right? Like when we tell you don't be alone, okay? Same thing. Who you are with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, that's who you are. That's the relationship you actually have. Not just the one that's around other people. So how are you leading? How are you making it, and how are you making it better? I will tell you this. Character and integrity will take you much farther in this life than giftedness and ability. When you're the right person, when you lead the right way, when you do things the right way, listen, you might, you might not get to take advantage of every opportunity that everyone else gets, because they might be a little bit better, whatever, but I will tell you this, you will last longer and you'll do better. Be the right person. Um, here's number four. This one, I, these, these sound so mean. I realize that as I'm preaching it. Here's number four. You're not as great as you think you are. Sorry, guys. That's, that's not the message for Gen Z. I mean, I'm supposed to tell you guys how awesome you are. Uh, no, but here, here's the thing. You'll see the point of the, of, the, of the point, the point of the point that makes sense. There's a lot of people that they go, well, God's, God's lucky to have me on his team, right? Like, oh, man, don't know what I'd do without without Matt, like he can do this, this, this. 
Like there's times when you get these false senses of how great you are. And what you need to understand is the Bible teaches us that Matthew 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned is that I'm not the only one that can do what God has me doing. There's not a single person on this earth that's irreplaceable. There's just not. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was the last time we did, did Beach Week, right? We were talking about Elijah. Y'all remember that? Wasn't it Elijah? Someone with me? Okay. So <clears throat> we did this whole week on Elijah. And Elijah has this like dark part of his story where after he calls down fire from heaven, when they're going back and forth with the prophets of Baal, you guys remember that on Mount Carmel? And God lights up this huge fire and Elijah walks away and he's like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one in all of Israel that can pull this off. And it leads him into like this almost state of depression because he feels like he's all alone because he's built himself up as like, I'm the only one who can do all this. Listen, you're not as great as you think you are. You know what God told Elijah? He said, Elijah, you're done. I've got, he says, I've got over 10,000 prophets in Israel that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And he told him right there, in that moment, he said, go anoint Elisha, because he'll be your successor. Don't get so prideful and arrogant that you think it's all about you. Listen, when we're leading, when we're leading in love, when we're leading like Jesus tells us to lead, you know what that means? That's not about me. I'm, I'm not the most important thing. That's why Paul says in Acts 20, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of his grace. That's why in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith in the one who saved me. Remember what we said. Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you should love as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're not so great that you can't do the things that God has called you to do. God's not lucky to have you, but you're blessed that God wants to use you. Hopefully that's a little bit better. It wasn't as rough after I explained it, right? Okay, good. Number five, discipline outlasts talent. Discipline outlasts talent. When you're trying out for a team, most talented kid usually gets a position, right? But you watch, the longer that you're on that team, the kid that's disciplined will take that spot from him. Just will. When you're disciplined to do the right things, I promise you, it's good. Some of you are naturally gifted at what it is, whatever it is that you're doing. You're gifted at uh, music or, or theater or dance or sports or Video games, I don't know. You're like, you're, you're really good at these things, right? You're naturally gifted. Talent makes you rise fast. Discipline keeps you there for the long haul. If you wanna make a difference, you've gotta be disciplined to do the right things. And you know it's the same thing? There's a reason why when we talk about reading your Bible, we never tell you, hey, try to read a verse a day. Just try it, just see what you think. No, we tell you that you gotta train yourself 
to study God's word. You gotta do this. Because when, when the Bible describes the Christian life, you know how it describes it? As a race, as a marathon. Um, there's even a passage in there, we have it written in our sports center, where it says, physical training's of some value, but godliness holds value for both this life and the next. That there's this training that comes with being a Christian. It's a marathon race. And so, yeah, if I'm just trying something one time, I'm just using my talent, I'm just going for it one time, that might happen, but if you wanna last, you're gonna have to be disciplined. Two more, perhaps the two most important. Number six, the greatest, the greatest two tools, let's say it this way, the two greatest tools you will ever have are a basin and a towel. I know you guys are like, what? Okay, just listen to me. The two greatest tools you'll ever have are a basin and a towel. In John chapter 13, I'd love for you to turn there if you have your Bibles. In John chapter 13, I want you to see how this, how this plays out. The very beginning, it says, now the feast of Passover, or now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. You know what he's noticing? John 13, this is the beginning of Passion Week, right? This is, or not beginning, this is Thursday night of Passion Week. Like, he's getting crucified tomorrow. He knows his time has come to an end. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now this is the ESV. If you have the NIV, you know what it says? He showed them the full extent of his love. The reason the ESV translates it, uh, he loved them to the end, is he's saying that the fullness of his love is shown in this moment. That's what he's saying, okay? So he's about to do something for his disciples to show them the fullest extent of his love. Well, you know the story? He washes their feet. Now the context of what's happening is the disciples are having an argument about which disciple is the greatest. Like they're basing this on like, well, I'm, I'm really good at talking. Well, guys, I'm the tallest, I'm best looking, you know, I'm most persuasive. Like they're having these arguments and Jesus walks in and he notices something about all the disciples. You know what he notices? That there wasn't a servant at the door when they showed up. Because in that culture, there would be a servant who would be at the door with a basin and a towel with water in it. The basin would have water, not the towel. And on their way into the house, out of respect for the homeowner, out of respect for the people that are coming in, they would simply just wash off their feet. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about first century Jerusalem here. We're talking about dirt roads. We're talking about people wearing sandals. No sewer system. So every house would dump out their sewage right there along the side of the road. So these people have really nasty, dirty feet, like disgusting, right? And so a servant would usually wash their feet, but for some reason that night there wasn't a servant there. So notice the, the irony. The disciples are totally missing it. They're like, I am not washing my own feet, that's disgusting. I'm not about to wash y'alls. They totally miss it. They start having a discussion about who's the greatest. Jesus hears his disciples arguing about who's the greatest. He takes off his outer garment. 
He wraps a towel around his waist. He picks up the basin that was just for servants and goes one by one and washes his disciples' feet. Everybody starts getting really silent. And then Peter finally speaks up. No, you're not washing my feet. Like, no, 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 no. No, you're, you, you're not gonna do it. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You can read it. Says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're saying. He goes, well, if you're gonna, if you're, if you're gonna wash my feet, wash my whole body. Like, like, let's just go all the way then. If this is what you need to do, like, like let's go. Because Peter's like, I wanna be all in. And Jesus says, no, the one who's had a bath doesn't need to clean their whole body. I'm just washing your feet. And he makes his way around the room. You know what's crazy about this story? Judas is still there. Jesus knows that Judas is gonna betray him in a matter of hours. He actually dismisses him in just a few verses to go and do what he has to do because they're gonna go to the garden and he's gonna be betrayed. Jesus knows all this, and yet he still washes Judas' feet. Now, I'm just gonna tell you, if I was in the room, I had the knowledge of Jesus, I saw that everybody needed their feet washed, you know what I would have done? Uh, Judas, wash everybody's feet, buddy. Like, go, like, I knew he's about to turn on me, might as well make him do the task no one wants to do. That's my mindset, not Jesus. So they go around the whole room, he does this, and then at the very end of the passage in verse 14, look at what it says. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. By the way, he's not telling you that we need to all wash feet today, like, okay? We don't need to like all get down and start, here, take your shoes off, I got it. You know, that's not what he's talking about. Listen to what he says, he clarifies it. He says, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. When we talk about leading in love, it's all about serving. Jesus loved his disciples and he did something practical for them. It didn't cost him money, he didn't take up a special offering. He didn't go, you know what, I wanna show them my full extent of, the, of my love. I'm taking them to Disney World. I wanna buy them something really nice. I'm gonna get them a car. I'm gonna, you know, it wasn't something crazy, but somehow that's what we think. Like if I, if I really wanna show someone how much I love them, I've gotta buy them something. I've gotta get them something. I gotta take them somewhere. It's just something simple. Just washing their feet. And he says, guys, I've showed you how to do it. So what's it look like for you? If the two greatest tools you'll ever have are a basin and a towel, what do those actually look like in your life? What are the ways you can serve your family, serve your friends, serve your teammates, serve your coworkers? Remember, 1 Corinthians 13, Brian preached it two weeks ago. It ends like this. So now faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these is what? It's love. Last point, number seven. The best way to bear good fruit is to have good roots. Jesus said in John 15 that it is my Father's will that you would bear much fruit. 
For those of you that don't know what that means, uh, it's in the context of talking about all the good things that you do. To, you wanna go out and do a lot of good works. You wanna reach people for Jesus, all that kind of stuff, okay? So if you wanna do that, you wanna do all these things for God, you know the best way to bear good fruits? It's to have good roots. Uh, earlier this year, you guys, some of you have heard me tell a story before. My, uh, my papa, actually, my great-grandpa, came over to Oklahoma in the 1800s and saw this land, whatever, and we've had this, this farm in our fam family now for over 110 years. And um, it's a pecan orchard, so we raise pecan trees, okay? Here's what's interesting about a pecan tree. You realize that a pecan tree has what's called a taproot, so as high as you see any pecan tree grow, it also goes that deep. It can only go as high as it's already gone down. And so I don't know like about fruit trees, but I, I know about a nut tree. I know about pecans, right? Like I, I know what it takes to do all that. And it's the same type of principle. But here, here's the thing. You think about this in your life. There's a lot of people that have big, great dreams of all the things that you can do. You go for it. Like, I want you to do that. I want, I want you to have unbelievable things. I, I hope, I really do. I hope and I pray that in a room like this, we have world changers. I mean, unbelievable things that happen. But here's what I want you to understand. If you wanna go high, you wanna go far, you wanna bear much fruit, you know what it's gonna take? Really good, deep roots. You gotta be in God's word. Jesus says in John 15, he says, abide in me, remain, stay. That's what abide means. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Hear it. The goal is this, that you would love people like Jesus has loved you, that you would lead in ways that turns this world upside down. But it will only happen when you do it like Jesus has done it. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories and make sure to tag us at Crossroads Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.